Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. So, hey, good morning to our um, e-community, those of you that are watching online right now, um, all over the place, and we love you guys, and those of you listening on the podcast, I want to introduce someone um, to you. This is kind of a cool thing that's, that, that's happened. You know, in 2017, we started a three-year initiative called Focus 2020, and in it, we, we were asking the Lord if um, he would use our church to see 2,500 first-time decisions for Christ, 1,000 people be baptized, and we could plant three churches. And um, I don't know if you know, but since January 2017, we've seen 1,077 first-time decisions for Christ. We've also, um, 255 have been baptized. Next week, we have our baptism service uh, on Cinco de Mayo weekend. And I encourage you, if you haven't been baptized um, the way Jesus was as a, as a believer, then you should do that. And it's going to be a great service. And um, heck, I'll baptize you. I'll get into my clothes if you'll be baptized. So I'm Sean the Baptist. Okay, so listen. Um, so we planted three churches. Our church in Porterville, the Hills is doing great. Uh, the church in South, kind of Southwest Clovis, the Gathering is doing really well. And then also um, our, uh, the church in Silicon Valley, Eden, is blowing up. They're well over 200 and just strong. So it's really cool. And then, you know, the, the premise is that a healthy church has healthy babies, right? Healthy, healthy women have healthy babies. Well, um, sometimes healthy people have accidental babies, right? <laughs> like unplanned pregnancies. Well, the cool news is we're going to plan another church. So we're having an unplanned pregnancy. I want to introduce you to, our, to the church planner. His name's Troy McComas. Come on out, Troy. Give it up. This is Troy McComas. And um, cool story is uh, Clovis Hills and some other churches in the city and um, our sister church, El Encino, are partnering to help plant New City Church. And uh, this is the coolest part. Um, El Encino had an uh, abandoned church building on Tulare Street near downtown, kind of in the hood. And they, said, they, they came to us and they said, hey, will you help us plant a church here? We need to find a pastor. And then the Lord brought me Troy. And um, he's going to be starting New City Church in, in August. Tell, tell, him, tell him a little bit about you. Sure. And kind of kind of... New city and what it's going to be. Yeah, thank you so much, Pastor Sean. Thank you for your faithfulness. I got a great pastor right here. You know that. Uh, and thank you, thank you, Clovis Hills, just to hear of the church planning endeavors and what you've been doing over the last couple of years is an encouragement to me. And so, as Pastor Sean said, I'm Troy McComas. Uh, fun fact about me: uh, I am a USC fan. Don't stone me. Go um, Trojans. Uh, oh, oh, Go Trojans. Amen. Amen. Receive that. Okay. Um, yeah, but 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 you know, moved, came out here by way of Los Angeles in 2002. And, um, and just really wasn't a believer, kind of running around, doing my thing. And, and through a series of fortunate events, uh, God rescued my rebellious behind and gave me a new life and a new mission and a new path, right? And so praise God for that. And so in, in, in the course of these, these events, right, God has been alluring me not only to himself, but, but, but stirring within me a passion and a call. Uh, whether or not that was a pastor at a church planting, I was figuring that out. And so my family left and went to seminary in Louisville and came back. And we lived in on Minnewawa by Old Town over there for a little bit. And I was walking one day over off of uh, Blackstone near Manchester. And uh, you know when you run across somebody that's familiar to you, that you that you ran into before, that you've known from the past, and, and you just can't shake it? You're like, man, I know this person. 
Well, he had spoke up before I did, and he, he got excited, and he said, man, Cain, right? Well, they used to call me cocaine, or Cain for short. I, I sold drugs and did all, the, all those other uh, deplorable things, you know, but God, give, give me a new life now. So, uh, but he says, Cain, he starts to glorify in this old life. He said, you put me up on the game. That's a colloquial for, for, for like, you taught me everything I know. And he told me, I said, well, how are you doing? He said, I just got out of the penitentiary. I've got seven children. He had tattoos all over his face. And in that moment, I was broken because I realized, man, not only had I been following after my father, the devil, for so long, but I was also leading others down that path as well. And in that moment, I realized, man, God hasn't called me. You know, God, he's doing wonderful things here in Clovis, in North Fresno, in the rural areas surrounding our city. But he's called me to have an affinity and a love for the brokenness over in downtown and southwest. And so, amen. And so we want to be a church that's multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic, um, that's coming on the cusp of revitalization, because how many of y'all know that Jesus is the greatest revitalizer? Amen. 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 And so, so that's what we're well, doing. Well, all right. Yeah, so, yeah we'll so, have him preach. Don't yeah. worry. So, so that's our, our hope is to be a church. We want to see Fresno flourish for the glory of God and for the joy of all people through a holistic gospel movement. That's awesome, man. So I want us to um, just pray over Troy. Um, he's got a core team he's got together, his wife, his kids. They lived, I mean, when, when I met him, he lived like four blocks from the church we were going to hand over to him. And it was just, we knew the Lord was setting this up. And we're really excited. So we want to pray God's blessing and um, just on him. So let, let's, let's pray for him as a church. Father, I thank you for this man. And um, Lord, Lord, you gave him the name Troy, which also means soldier, Lord. And Father, you, you, you took his old name, Cain, and you buried it in the waters of baptism, Lord. And you gave him his name that you, you knew before he was even born, born Troy. And you set him apart for this day and this time. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray for his family, Lord, that you would give them a sense of boldness. Every one of them, Lord. That they would walk fearlessly wherever they go because you are with them, Lord. And I thank you for him, Lord. We pray for this church, Lord, that you would do things that we never imagined, um, Lord, and you would push back darkness in that part of the city. Use him, Lord, and use our church, Lord, in, to bless him and to, 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 to help him, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, give it up to Troy. So one other thing. I'm sorry. I haven't got to the Bible yet, but I will. I promise. So Lee Strobel came two weeks ago, right? It was great. He was awesome. He told me, we were, we, were, we were eating before the Saturday night service, and he said, hey, you know, you're doing this series called Life's Toughest Questions. You know what you should do is you should get my friend Mark Middleberg to come and do the last um, message of the, of the series. And I was like, well, yeah, Mark Middleberg's awesome. If you don't know who he is, he's written Contagious Christian and a whole bunch of books. And Lee said, he goes, listen, He's, he goes, I'm an apologist, and everyone sees me as the expert. Mark is the best there is um, he, of making it simple but understanding. He does a Q&A, and he's so good. You should get Mark. I'll give you his number. You can see. So I kind of sent it. I felt weird. I was like, hey, Mark, I'm Sean. You know, I sent some weird text to him. Never heard back. And then on Monday, he called me, and he says, hey, Sean, I talked to Lee, and he said, Clovis, he said how much he loved Clovis Hills and what a great fit it would be. He goes, I'm actually free on May 19th and 18th and 19th. Do you want me to come to Clovis Hills? So, so we're going to have Mark Middleberg on May 18th and 19th to wrap up the series. 
It's going to be rad. And then listen, Sunday night in the venue, we're going to have a dessert. And he is going to do a Q&A. And he's going to answer any of your questions. If you have friends that are skeptical that have questions. Um, it's, he's, and I was watching him do it online. He is so good at it. So I want to encourage you. Come and check that out. Today, though, we're talking about science and the Bible and how science and the Bible work together. Because for many, it feels like it's just a giant contradiction. As a matter of fact, in history, it seems like religion has always kind of opposed science. They've always been at odds. Um, and I want to talk about um, really the truth. Because sometimes science has been wrong and sometimes religion's been wrong. And, and we, we, have, we have to admit that. So, but I want to talk about God and science, too, and, and the scripture and science. And um, as a kid, I, and, and even going through college, I loved science. I was one of the better subjects I, I was at. Um, I love physics, uh, cosmology, astronomy, which so, just so for some of you that don't like science, not cosmetology, <laughs> but cosmology. They're different, okay? Cosmology is to make you look pretty. All right, Cosm or cosmetology is to make you look pretty. Cosmology is the study of the heavens and, and, and the universe and, and, and whatnot. So, um, so I've always loved that. But here's the thing about science. Um, is Science can be fickle because they can turn on a dime. They discover something new, they turn on a dime. You remember, it was like 10 years ago, all of a sudden, they were like, Pluto's not a planet. Like, what, what, what is with it? Did it get hit by an asteroid and disappear? Did, you know, did the Death Star blow it up? What's going on? Pluto's not a planet. You know, and I, 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 it, was, it was almost like all these scientists got together and it was like Survivor. They voted Pluto out of the universe. And it, and it was like, what, the, what? And see, for those of you that are younger, you're like, well, big deal. But here's the thing. When you grow up and there's nine planets and Pluto's the last one, you, you know, that messes with your head a little bit. What do you mean it's not a planet? It's been a planet my whole life. And think about this. When I was in fifth grade in Mrs. Veen's class, I took a planet's quiz. And I forgot to put Pluto at the end. I got a 90% on that quiz. Could it be? And if you're listening, Mrs. Veen, or you're watching on Facebook Live, I was just a visionary. It was prophetic, okay? I want my A. Anyway, so... Today we're going to read from God's Word in Psalm chapter 19. My friend Larry is going to come out in a minute, and we're going to read from it. And we're going to read Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And I would love it, if you're able to, to stand in honor of God's Word, and we'll read it together. Psalm 19, for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So I got um, today, if you look in your outline, there's two points. And sometimes, right, you guys know how it works. Sometimes I have a, a three-point sermon. Sometimes I have a, a two-point sermon. Sometimes it's just one point. Um, for many of you, you're like, yeah, pastor, sometimes it's no point. There's no point to your sermon. But whatever. I get it. Today there's two, okay? And the first one I want to talk to you about 
is um, God has shown himself in scripture to us and in the world, in creation. So the first point is um, what theologians call general revelation, okay? God has given general revelation, or the way I like to describe it in layman's terms, is I'm going to talk to you about the book of nature. How nature, right? We just read in, um, in uh, the Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, you can look up in the sky, you can see them, right? So nature, nature does that. And in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, the very first thing in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was God that made the heavens and the earth, all right? And um, it, it's interesting. There's a guy, uh, I, I read an article in the USA Today, Dr. Jerry Coyne. He's a professor of um, ecology and evolutionary bio- biology at uh, the University of Chicago, which is a very reputable school. But he said this. He said, um, science and faith are fundamentally incompatible. And um, we've heard that for years, that, you know, you, you either have faith, you believe in God, or you believe in science, right? If you, uh, to, to quote um, the wrestler guy on Nacho Libre, I believe in science, okay? So um, this guy, Dr. Coyne, also goes on, and he says, science helps religion only by disproving its own claims. So what he's saying is, Science is good. It helps religion out because it helps you all realize that you just believe in a fairy tale. So neener, neener, neener. All right. He's, you know, he's kind of, kind of being snarky as he, as he goes there. But um, the, the scriptures say this. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And I, I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about cosmology. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you know. In uh, 1996, at the turn of the century... They, uh, the Pew Research Forum did a study of scientists. They did a poll of scientists. They wanted to know how many scientists believed in God. Many of them thought it would be under 20%. When they um, did the poll and it came out, they were shocked. It was over 40% of scientists believed in God. And they were shocked. And some of it was because of the, the discoveries that had been made in science up until that time. So they did another study in 2015. And do you know, um, now it's 51% of scientists believe in God. And here's why. The, the reason is because in the last 50 years with the discovery of the Hubble telescope, the discovery of DNA and, and, and um, j- just all the complexity of the universe, the complexity of the human body, the complexity of a cell, all of that, they're realizing, man, there's got to be a design in this. And there's an argument that, that uh, many cosmologists hold to called the column argument. And, and here, here it's K-A-L-A-M, all right, if you're writing it down. But here, here's what it means. Is the column argument is whatever begins to exist, whatever begins to exist had to have something starting it, someone starting it, right? So um, whatever begins to exist has a cause, right? If I were to roll a skateboard off the stage right now, the cause would be the force of my foot putting it out there. And, and, and here's what happened. You know, when they, they put the Hubble telescope up and their studies of, of space, they started to realize that um, the universe is huge. And belief up until that time was, um, for scientists at least, was that the universe was eternal, that it had always existed. Um, ironically, they couldn't believe that God had always existed. So, but anyways, we'll just go there. Okay, they believed the universe had always existed, that matter always was here. It's eternal. It's been here forever. But then what they found, what they found out was that... Um, they, they could see the universe was expanding. It was moving. All the galaxies were moving outwards. And what they realized is that the whole universe was getting bigger and that the universe actually 
had a beginning to it. And a common belief among physics and cosmology now is that the universe had a beginning to it. And think about the column argument. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. And I know what you're thinking. Well, who, who made God? The, you know, the column argument goes against God then. But here's what, here I want you to realize what the column argument says is whatever begins to exist has a cause. We know the universe begun at a certain point. Um, scientists tell us it was 13.5 billion years ago. All right? And they do that by measuring the, the, length, of, the length of the universe. God is eternal. So he never began, so there's no cause to God. He's just always, always existed. So I, wa I want you to, to, to understand this. Um, there, one of the most famous physicists of our day, his name was Stephen Hawking. And Stephen Hawking um, died recently. And I think we have, do we have a picture of him? Anyway, so he, um, in one of his last writings before he died, he wrote the Grand Design. It was called the Grand Design. Um, ironically, and in that he talked about how there's, you know, there's no God and, you know, we're, it just is how it is. And even the, the beginning of the universe that he believed in, he, he said this. He said, well, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Right? So he was saying because there's a law, of, because of the law of gravity, the uni it, it's, it gives the universe the ability to create itself from nothing. And um, very quickly, scientists were even like, really? Then what made gravity? Who made gravity? See, the, the truth of the matter is, you can try as much as you want to hide God, but it always goes back to, well, who made the gravity that made the universe? See, there's a, a concept in physics now, it, it's kind of a, a, a common concept. Um, and not all physicists believe it, but like I said, more and more are moving to this direction. And it's called the finely tuned universe. You know, you ever look up in the sky and, you know, you see the stars, right? The stars at night are big and bright. <laughs> Deep in the heart of Clovis. So anyway, so <laughs> what many physicists are coming to realize now is that the universe is so finely tuned. Like everything, there, there's about a hundred different factors that make the universe exist. And if they were different, the universe would not exist. And if you were to look into the sky, it's almost like there's all these dials. And each one of them is finely tuned to make the universe exist. I wanna, I'll give you just one example of uh, anywhere between 50 and 100 different things that make the universe exist. The fine tuning of the universe. It's gravity. If you were to take measure gravity... And gravity has um, it, a force, right? We, we all feel it the older we get. Amen? <laughs> I remember one Sunday, some of you won't remember this because you're new, but I was coming off, I was coming down on the stage, and I totally tripped right here. And I fell face first. I landed in a perfect push-up formation like this. And the whole church was like, oh, our pastor died. And I'm down, I'm like, I'm okay. If I was smart, right, if I was quick, I would have been like, and this is how we pray. <laughs> so anyways, gravity got me. Gravity gets us. There's a force to gravity. It's constant. I hope my shirt's not dirty. Anyways, there, there's a force, and it's always constant, except if you're in a black hole, which is another element. But listen, if you were to measure the force of gravity in our universe, and you use the caliper to do it, 
um, the way you'd have to do it is you'd have to take a ruler and expand it the whole length of the universe. 13.5 billion light years. That means you traveled at the speed of light for 13.5 billion years. So that, that's a long ruler, right? And you had that ruler, and gravity, if you measured it, if, if gravity was one inch over less, all matter as we know it would not hold together. Life as we know, there, there couldn't be the universe as we know it. There would not be life, there would be nothing. Matter would just continue to come apart, come apart. You wouldn't have carbon. Um, we're carbon-based creatures. It, it wouldn't be here. And if, if it was one inch over on that 13.5 billion light year ruler, it actually, the universe would begin to implode on itself and you wouldn't have anything either. I want you to think about the odds of gravity being the perfect force to hold all things together. I want you to think about the odds of that because um, mathematicians began to, to estimate what it was. And, and, and here's what they've said. It's, um, the odds of it are one in one million, billion, 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 billion. That's a 10 with 58 zeros, okay? Just, just to give you, you know, that number makes the lottery look like, man, I got a good shot. <laughs> right? One in one million, billion, 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 billion. The gravity, just one of a hundred of the finely tuned things of the universe. I mean, one in 100 million, billion, 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 billion. Are you saying there's a chance, right? I had a woman last night, she's a math teacher, and she said, you know, that number isn't... Um, an improbability is actually a mathematical impossibility, is what we would call that. And that's just one of the many finely tuned things. So the heavens declare the glory of God, is, is what, I, what I want you to know. Um, there's a, a physicist from Cambridge, his name is Fred Hoyle, not even a Christian, and he said this. L look what he said. He said, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology, the grand monkeyer, right? <laughs> and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. Numbers, the numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. This is Fred Hoyle. See, and that's just one of about 100. So if you're walking on the beach... And you walked, you know, you looked down in the rocks on the beach, and you looked down and you found a watch. And you picked it up and you looked at the watch. And um, you, would, you would never look at this watch and go, oh my gosh, look at this thing that over millions of years of, of random chance and, 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 and gr great mutations has turned into this, this thing that works, right? No, you would look at it and you would be like, oh, who made the watch, Right? You pick this one up and you go, oh, this one's made by Samsung. It's a lot like the Apple Watch, but it's for men. Okay, so cool. Anyways, um, snarkiness is my spiritual gift. But here's the thing. Um, you, would, you would know there's a watchmaker that made this, that designed this, because it's clear design on it. 
right? There was a, a uh, the guy that first proposed that argument. It's called the divine watchmaker argument. His name's William Paley. And he was a, a, a theologian from the 1800s. And he, he would die to know what we know now about science, about the human body, about, about creation, about all of those things. Because here's the thing. If you have a watch, look at your watch right now. And, and that has a maker. It has a true design to it. You can tell. But if you look from the edge of your watch to the tip of your finger, this thing has an incredible design to it. This more complex, even than my smartwatch, I want you to know. It's a, I mean, and this is a smart watch. This is, I call this actually an encouraging watch because I don't know if you know, it measures exercise. And every time after I preach, I sit down in one of these seats, it buzzes, and I look at it, and it says, good job. <laughs> it's encouraging me. But do you realize how much design is in your hand and in your wrist just to get this thing to work and all the clear engineering that's going, let alone the nervous system that moves from your brain to your hand back to your brain and, and for touch and for feeling and for grip and to move all the muscles that are here. I mean, it is amazing the design that is in this. And if there is a divine watchmaker, there must be a divine wrist maker. Is what I want you to understand. So, um, and I, I know, I, I know what you're, you're thinking, some of you right now. Some of you are skeptical and you're like, look, okay, may, I'll concede. Maybe there is a design in the universe. Maybe there's a bit of design. But, Sean, you Christians, like, you believe the, the Bible's from God. And all of you believe the earth is like 6,000 years old. And there was no dinosaurs. Or Jesus was riding dinosaurs. I don't know, something crazy like that. You don't follow the geologic evidence we have for the earth being billions of years old. You, like, you just kind of check your brain at the door. And um, if you're thinking that, I totally understand that because um, that there, there is a, um, well, actually, let me explain it this way. I, I didn't know this until um, I, I began to, to, to read more. There, there is a, a wing of Christianity that believes that literal thing I just said. Um, there's another group of Christians, godly people that believe that the earth is millions of years old. There's some that believe in theistic evolution. There's some that believe in what they call a progressive creationism, that it's a mix of both. It's across the board, and it's very godly people. So if that's a block for you for, for becoming a Christian, I need you to understand something. It shouldn't be. And let me explain, explain why. I remember um, I grew up in a, a very fundamentalist church. I got saved in this church, and it was very like you know, um, beat you with the Bible kind of thing. And I remember they would teach, they taught me, you know, the, the earth is 6,000 years old. You take Genesis, literally every bit of it. And um, anyone that doesn't believe that doesn't believe the Bible and they're not really Christians. That was kind of what I was taught. And I was, you know, so I just kind of, I, I had experienced God. So I took it by faith and said, okay. And I remember I'd go to the Creation Research Institute and I would study all that and I was really good at it and I had all kinds of great arguments so I could argue with my friends that believed in evolution and um, not to convince them, just to win. And because um, I was a jerk and a hypocrite and a Pharisee. But anyways, um, I remember I was a youth pastor and I would teach all my students all these arguments so they could give their, um, their biology teacher hell. And um, I've repented of that, Lord, since. And I remember I went to seminary and I had to read this book, Systematic Theology, by Millard Erickson. And I read it, and in it, he, he started talking about the different views that Christians throughout Christian history and even in the world today have on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And I began to get angry. Like, what the, what kind of crap are they teaching me in this seminary? I did say crap in church, by the way. Um, we have pre-filled complaint cards you just drop in the offering afterwards, so... 
but I, I, I'm like, what is this? This is false doctrine. You know, I was very upset. You know, like, what am I paying for? This? They're teaching me all this humanistic garbage. And I remember I went, um, I had a guy that was mentoring me. His name was Harold. And Harold was in his 80s. And he was really wise, kind of one of those Yoda types. Everyone needs a Yoda type in their life. I'm just letting you know. And um, so Harold had his Ph.D., um, in theology, he was a missionary in Haiti for like 40 years, just really wise. And I remember I'm meeting with him, and I'm real upset, and I'm telling him about all this false doctrine they're teaching in there. And, and I'm ranting, and I'm raving, I'm ranting, I'm raving. And finally, in his Yoda way, he goes, hey, Sean, I want to ask you a question. And I was like, okay, what? And he goes, what if you're wrong and they're right? Well, no, 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 that's impossible. That can't be. He goes, Sean, humor me. What if you're wrong on what you believe? What if you're reading it wrong? But I'm not. Sean, answer the question. What if you're wrong? Is the Bible wrong? Did Jesus not rise from the dead? What if evolution is, is, is true? Did Jesus not rise from the dead? Is the Bible not true? Is it not God's word? But it, it, answer the question, you will. You know, he, in his Yoda ways. And I was like, no, it's still God's word. Did Jesus rise from the dead still? Yeah. Then why are you so upset, dummy? What does it matter whether it's 6,000 years old or 6 million years old? That's not the soapbox you need to stand on, is what he, he began to tell me. And, 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 you know, here's the thing. In the Bible, there's all kinds of miraculous things. Some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, but what about, like, walking on water and Jesus, you know, all of a sudden magically appearing inside a locked room and uh, all this Siegfried and Roy stuff that's going on. Like, we know that stuff doesn't happen. And, and I get that, but I want you to understand something. Do you know when Albert Einstein used to uh, teach his students, the first book he would make them read was a book called Flatlands. Flatlands was about a person who was three-dimensional, like you and I, poke your neighbor, you're all three-dimensional, okay? We all live in the third dimension. And in Flatlands, it was about a three-dimensional person like you and I, but they lived in a two-dimensional world, okay, like the pages of a book. And because they had access to the third dimension, it appeared to them like they had superpowers, like they could step forward and disappear, they, were, they could fly, they could do all kinds of stuff because they had access to that third dimension. Now, I want you to know this. Qu quantum physics string theory now proposes there's somewhere around 11 dimensions of reality. We have access to three of them. There's 11 dimensions of reality. Think about this for a moment. If God created all 11 dimensions of reality and Jesus, the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, the Word became flesh and lived among us as Jesus. So Jesus is God and He's the creator of all 11 dimensions of reality. Do you think accessing a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an eighth dimension, he couldn't walk on water, he couldn't appear through a door, he couldn't do those miracles, turn a few loaves of fish, uh, bread and fish into feeding 5,000? Of course, if he had access to those, all of those suddenly become explainable. See, there's a lot in this universe, we've learned a lot, but there's a lot we don't know yet. And to say, I don't have the facts, therefore I can't believe in God, really, you, you need to study the facts. 
Because there's just as many facts pointing to God, is what you have to understand. And it's almost like your news. You can pick what slant you want on your news. There's every flavor on cable now. I prefer local news. Okay, anyways. Here's the thing. You can pick your facts. But don't stand on the soapbox of, of how the earth was created. Because you're probably going to block someone from actually coming to faith in Christ. See, you never heard the Apostle Paul, you never heard any of those people arguing about those kind of things. Because here's why. Um, science is really good at explaining how things happen. But the Bible was never intended to be a science book. This book is to explain why. What's the purpose? Not how life began, but Genesis 1 through 3 was really to tell you the story of God, about how God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he spoke it into existence. There was a big bang. God said it, it happened. You need to understand that. And, and here, here's the thing. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is all about how humankind disobeyed God, moved away from God. We invited sin into this world. We invited sin into this world. We invited disease. We invited pestilence, racism, hatred, all of that. We're all culpable for it. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all separated ourselves. And Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is about how God, how we did it, and now how God is going to make it right. He's going to undo sin. He's going to undo evil. And the rest of this book is not a science book. It's a book that points you, every word of it, to the person of Jesus Christ. And it culminates with him on the cross, him coming out of the grave, and then him coming back for you. That's what this book's about. Every word in it is about that. So it's not about how, it's about why. And you, need to, you, have to, you have to understand that. And see, the Apostle Paul, he said this. He didn't stand on soapboxes like that. He stood on one soapbox. You know what he, he, time and time again he said. He said, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He said, we don't preach ourselves, we preach... Jesus is Lord. He said, I emptied myself to, to, to preach nothing but Christ crucified. That's the important thing. So for some of you Christians that you're out beating up your friends that believe in science, stop it. Because there's a lot of great Christians that have believed the gamut of it. And some of you I know, they're like, well, what does Pastor Sean believe now? I'm not going to tell you, so stop it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pan-creationist. Here's what it means. There's like... 50 different views. However it panned out, I don't care. Whether earth is 6,000 years old or 6 million years, it doesn't matter. Jesus is Lord. That's the truth of it. So anyways, now that I've angered some of you, general revelation, you have to understand. Um, Paul said it in Romans 1. He said, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made. You can look out in the world and know there's a designer. There's a divine watchmaker. So that people are without excuse. Francis Collins was the um, head of the Human Genome Project. He's a Bible-believing Christian, by the way. Um, I don't know if you know anything about the, the, the human gene, but if you laid out all your um, DNA in a single line, it would stretch from right here to the sun and back 30 times. That's in your body right now. 
I want you to think about that. And it's all a computer code. It's all a series of numbers that make up who you are. That's like saying, to say there's no God, that's like saying you, you took all the watch pieces, you put them in a box, and you shook them for 15 million years, and you pulled it out, and there was a working watch. That's impossible. So, so here, here's what we, you, you have to understand. Francis Collins, he said this. He said, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful. And it cannot be at war with itself. Only we imperfect humans can start such battles. And only we can end them. So that, that's general revelation. Second point is this, special revelation. I want to talk to you about that because that's different. I call that the book of scripture. General revelation is the book of nature. You can look into nature and know there's God. But then... God calls you by name. And let me, I'll tell you a story. There's a story in Matthew uh, 16 where Jesus is uh, with his disciples. And he asks them, he says, who do people say I am? Right? You know, he, he, he's kind of asking around. Some are like, oh, they say you're Elijah or you're, you're a prophet or you're, you're, uh, um, you're a rabbi or you're crazy. They're saying all kinds of things about you, Jesus. And then finally he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say I am? Who am I? And that's a question, to be honest, I think every one of us have to ask. I think Jesus is asking you that question today. Who do you say I am? It doesn't matter who Sean says you are, or says he is. It doesn't matter who your grandma says he is. It doesn't matter who the scientist says he is. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the question. See, and Peter, who was fortunate enough to walk and talk and be around Jesus for those three years, he looked at him and he said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So he said, you're the Christ. I don't know if you know what Christ means. It's a Greek word, Christos. It means king. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I thought that was Jesus' last name. H was his middle name. My dad told me that all the time. It's not. He said, you're the king, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, he said this to him. It says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And the question today is, who do you say Jesus is? Because I, I honestly believe this. At some point, you've got to make a decision. And I know this about people. This is the way we all are. Is some of you, 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 you know, you said, well, I don't believe in... As a matter of fact, I had a guy, he accepted Christ on Tuesday night at our, our, our Connect class. And he said, you know, I've, I've been hiding behind the whole science thing my whole life. And I needed more proof. And I needed more proof of who God was. And finally, God just got a hold of my heart and spoke to me. And he accepted Christ in our Connect class, which was crazy. But anyways, and today he screwed his light bulb in and, and all that. But I want you to understand something. At some point, isn't hiding behind the facts really just hiding behind them because there's just as many facts to point that there is a creator and that Jesus was who he said he was and the Bible is what it says it is. And at some point, you have to ask yourself, maybe there's something deeper that I'm, I'm and I'm using quote-unquote facts to hide behind. See, there was a guy named Blaise Pascal and... um. 
<laughs> Blaise Pascal was a scientist and a philosopher and probably one of the smartest humans that ever lived. Just to give you, just to give you an idea of how smart Blaise Pascal was, when he was 14, he was a mathematician too. When he was 14, he got in trouble. His father sent him to his room. He was uh, banished to his room for like a day, day and a half. And he came out and discovered trigonometry. At 14. The principles of trigonometry come from Blaise Pascal. And here's what I, I need you to understand. Uh, later in his life as an adult, he became a Christian. And he said this about, about belief and, 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 and following Christ. He said, there's enough light for those who only desire to see and enough obscurity for those who, only, who have a contrary disposition. And here's what he's saying is, it's your choice. And stop using facts as a, as a shield you hide behind. This guy was one of the smartest people on the planet, and he didn't even have half the scientific knowledge we have today. He didn't have the Hubble telescope. He didn't have the human genome. He didn't have any of that stuff. He didn't know about multiple dimensions of reality. He didn't have any of that going on. But he understood he could say he was hiding behind the facts, or he could hide under the wings of the living God who made you, who loves you. He's not mad at you because you don't believe in him. He loves you. He's here today. The Bible says it really clearly that as many as believed him, to those who called on his name, he gave the, those that received him, he gave the right for them to become children of God, that you can receive Christ. See, the truth of the matter is, we're all separated from him. Our, you know, we've all gone our own way. We've all sinned. I mean, it's crazy. Even when I'm trying to be good. You ever, like, I'm going to be really good. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. And then, like, 30 seconds later, you're sinning. You ever, anyone? Show of hands. Show of hands. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you, it's in the parking lot at church. You're like, man, God is so good. Anyways. We're all sinful. And the truth of the matter is, that sin... Has separated you from God. But today, God has given you a choice that you could choose God and the destiny He has for your life, or He loves you so much, He'll let you have your own destiny. But here's the thing um, the truth of the matter is, you don't get to pick your own destiny. Because destiny is this we're all gonna die, right? We know how it's gonna end. You know, when I was 12 years old, I wanted to be in the NFL. Destiny tells me I'm not going to be in the NFL. As a matter of fact, destiny tells me you're going to be 5'8 and 160 pounds. And you're going to die at some point in your life. And that's all you got. And, and if there's no God, that's it. But God has said this. God, God loved you so much. He said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And he's given you that choice that you could go your own way, which will end in death and will end in separation from God. Or, I mean, he said it in his word. He said, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. you, I shaped you, that God had a plan, he has a destiny for your life. But he respects you so much, he allows you to choose it, to step into it. And for some of you today, you really are, you really have questions, and there's some facts you still got to go look up. Then keep looking, because they're there. But if you say, oh, I need the facts, but then you never go look for them, you may be hiding behind them, there's something deeper going on. And usually what I find is this. God always comes calling in our life. And he uses trials, trauma, or transition to shake us up so we'll look to him and hear him. And this morning, 
For some of you, you need the facts still. And maybe your prayer is, God, help me with my unbelief. Show me who you are. Some of you are like, that makes me nervous, Sean. Don't make him pray that. What if God doesn't show him? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, defend God, I just assume defend a lion. I don't need to. If God is real, he will reveal himself when someone asks. But for some of you, today's the day, and you know. The Bible says this, that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. That if you receive him, you become a child of God, and you could do that today. As a matter of fact, Jesus, I mean, the Spirit of God is here in this place right now. Jesus even said, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. He stands at the door of your heart. Today is your day. If you would work the courage to, in your heart to lay down your way and take that step of faith, and invite Jesus into your life. This could be your day that you begin your true destiny, the thing you were made for. We're going to pray a prayer in a moment. And for some of you, you, you sense it, that God is knocking at the door of your heart. And I want to encourage you because it is a, an act of courage when you can finally lay, say to God, I lay down my way. And I'm going to take yours. And I don't even know what your way looks like. And it scares me to death because I don't know. I'm not in control of it. But I'm, I know you're here and I know you're real and I know you're calling me today. That takes immense courage. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. Let's just all bow our heads and close our eyes.